You're listening to the expository preaching ministry of Kootenai Community Church, located in Kootenai, Idaho. We pray that Christ is exalted and your spirit is blessed by the teaching of God's Word. For more information about Kootenai Church, please visit us online at kootenaichurch.org. Our gracious God, we are so thankful to you that you are a holy God and a righteous God and that that holiness was and righteousness was satisfied through the death of your Son on the cross on our behalf. We thank you that you give to us your righteousness as a gift through faith and that you have made us your children and heirs, um, heirs of your throne and heirs of such great grace. Thank you for including us in the plan of salvation that you have opened our eyes to the truth of Scripture to make us to be your children, and we thank you that you continue to do so and sanctify us by the same word that has brought us forth. And so we pray that you would sanctify your people now by your truth, and that as we give our attention and our focus to your word, that you would be glorified and honored through it, and that Christ may be magnified in our presence. May you fill our hearts with wonder, love, and praise for Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen. Turn to John chapter 15. We're going to read together the first 11 verses of John chapter 15. We're not going to be covering all 11 verses, obviously, but we're going to catch the entire context of this analogy of the vine and the branches. John 15, I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away, and every branch that bears fruit, he prunes it so that it may bear more fruit. You are already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine so neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him, he bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away as a branch and dries up, and they gather them and cast them into the fire, and they are burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. My Father is glorified by this, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples." Just as the Father has loved me, I have also loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my Father's love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be made full. After we sort of started to look at this last week, somebody asked me, I think I had a couple of good questions, but one of them I want to give to you so that you can hear the question and the answer. And I'll answer this question just by way of sort of an introduction and a recapping of what we covered last week. Somebody came up to me after the service a couple days later and said, in my Bible, I have written down in John chapter 15 that the fruitless branches are actually Christians in verse 2 and that what is plucked away and burned in verse 2 and verse 6 is not the branches themselves but the fruit of those branches and that these the, 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 the fruit is bad fruit, lousy fruit, that the vine dresser plucks off of the bad branches or the Christian branches and then throws them into the fire. So how is it that I got that marked down in my Bible and it's different than what you said last week? That's a good question. Um, and I answered it, and, and here's the answer to it. My suspicion is that whoever taught this individual that, and I got permission to use this in the service today, by the way, whoever taught that individual that was somebody who believed in the perseverance of the saints. In other words, that a Christian cannot lose their salvation. But they wrongly identified the fruitless branches in verse 2 as Christians, genuine believing Christians. 
And then if when you do that, when you start with that wrong premise, then in verse 2 you have these genuine believing Christians being plucked up. And in verse 6 you see the, 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 the imagery of fiery judgment. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away as a branch and dries up and they gather them and cast them into the fire and they are burned. Well, if the genuine, if the branches, the fruitless branches in verse 2 are genuine Christians, then what do we make out of verse 6? And if you identify the genuine, the, the fruitless branches in verse 2 as genuine Christians, then when you get to verse 6, you've got a problem. And the problem is that these genuine Christians seem to be cut off and thrown away into everlasting fire. There is the imagery of fiery judgment in verse 6. So the way to get around that, if you want to hold to what is the biblical doctrine that once a person is truly saved, they are saved permanently. If you want to hold to that doctrine, then when you get to verse 6, you got to do something. you got to somehow account for it. And so this person, my suspicion is, I wasn't there, but my suspicion is, the person who was teaching this said, well, verse 6 applies to the fruit. It's the bad fruit that is cut off of those branches. That is burned, not the branches themselves. Well, if you read through the analogy, you'll notice that there are two problems with that. Number one, the analogy is not dealing with good fruit, bad fruit in verse 2, but fruitful branches and fruitless branches. In verse 2, it's not the analogy is not dealing with branches that produce bad fruit, but branches that produce no fruit. Further, verse 6 does not seem to be describing fruit. Do you notice that? Verse 6, if anyone, one, anyone, who's that, person? Is that a person? Or is that fruit? If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away as a branch. What is thrown away? It's the branch that is thrown away. Verse 6, the branch dries up and they gather them and cast them into the fire and they are burned. What verse 6 describes is not the bad fruit of some Christians being burned in the judgment. What verse 6 describes is fruitless branches being cut off of the vine, cast aside and eventually burned. So in keeping with the analogy that we have here, we have to... We have to get to the point of the analogy, rightly understanding who the fruitless branches are and who the fruitful branches are so that the rest of the analogy makes sense. So the point of the analogy of the vine and the branches is this. Jesus is the source of all life and fruitfulness for his people. Anybody who is connected to him and has true life will produce fruit. Anybody who is not connected to Jesus and does not have life in him will not produce fruit. Furthermore, anybody who is connected to Jesus and produces fruit, produces fruit because they are connected to the vine. And this is the promise. They will never be cut off. They will never be cast aside. They will never be burned up. They are the fruitful branches. But those who are not connected to Jesus do not produce fruit because they do not have the life of the vine in them. They are fruitless branches And those ones most certainly will be cut off and will be cast aside and will be burned up. So the question then is, who are the fruitful branches and who are the fruitless branches? And I argued last week that the fruitful branches are like the 11 disciples, those who are truly living, they truly have life, they produce fruit and give evidence of their of their life by the fruit that they produce. They prove themselves to be his disciples, verse 8. So who are the fruitless branches? These are the, the unfruitful branches are branches like Judas, who were not attached to the vine in the same way that the other branches are attached to the vine. They have an an outward profession, an outward commitment. They do not take their life and fruitfulness from the vine, but from some other source, from the ground beneath because they're attached near the base, or they are what we call suckers. They are sucker branches. These are the Judas-type branches. And there is and always will be within the church 
false believers among the true believers, tares among the wheat, goats among the sheep, fake disciples amongst true disciples, false teachers amongst true teachers. This has always been the case in the history of the church, and it will always be the case. There will always be tares amongst the true sheep. So these false branches, these fruitless branches, are Judas branches. They are the ones who are cut off. Matthew Henry says this, it is here intimated that there are many who pass for branches. Excuse me. There are many, let's start again, uh, minus the, the hiccup this time. It is here intimated that there are many who pass for branches in Christ who yet do not bear fruit. Were they really united to Christ by faith, they would bear fruit. But being only tied to Him by the thread of an outward profession, though they seem to be branches, they will soon be seen to be dry ones. Unfruitful professors are unfaithful professors. Professors and no more. End quote. In other words, these are people who profess to have faith in Christ, but they do not have the life of the vine in them. And because they do not have the life of the vine in them, they are not truly saved. These are Judas branches. That is the identity. Now I offered you three arguments that to view these as Judas branches and not as genuine Christians. Number one, because all of the other elements in the analogy all point to somebody who was there that evening. Jesus is the vine, the Father is the vine dressers, the fruitful branches are the disciples. Why should we think that by fruitless branches, Jesus means anybody other than one who was there that evening? Who was there that evening, who had been, as it were, cut off and removed from the vine and had left that place and shown that he did not abide, he did not remain, and that he was fruitless all along? Who else would that describe? Judas is the quintessential example of somebody who never truly had the life of the vine living in him. He only appeared to. He only looked like one of the branches. But eventually, in the work of God, the vine dresser cut him off and cast him aside, and he was burned in verse 6. Further, I argue that viewing the unfruitful branches as Judas branches fits the pattern of what we have seen in John. In John chapter 2 and in John chapter 6 and in John chapter 8, we have extended passages that detail these false believers that not everybody who is excited about Jesus is actually actually belongs to Jesus. There are a lot of people who get excited to Jesus about Jesus and come to Him for all the wrong reasons. Not everybody who comes to Christ comes to Him to receive what He actually offers, which is forgiveness and eternal life. People come to Him for all the wrong motives, for all the wrong reasons, and they receive all the wrong things. And eventually, it is proven that they are not really attached to the vine to begin with. Why did Judas attach himself there? Why did Judas hang out among the twelve? What was he after? Profit, popularity, whatever it was he came. It was not for forgiveness of sins, for he did not really come to Jesus for forgiveness of sins. And then third, I argued that um, that the word clean in verse 3, when Jesus indicates that you are clean, speaking of the eleven who were there, Judas had already gone. The only other time that word is used is back in chapter 13 when Jesus was speaking to the twelve and he said, you are already clean. But then he accepted Judas from that and said, but not all of you, because he knew the one of which was going to betray him, and that was Judas. But now when he says, you are clean, he describes that of the whole group and doesn't accept anybody, indicating that the one who was not clean, who had already been cut off and not been pruned, the one who had been cut off was already gone from their midst. What better example of what Jesus is describing in this passage could you get than Judas Iscariot, who had left and departed and did not remain. He was cut off from the group and he was cast aside. He was shown to be a dry, unfruitful, barren, lifeless branch who was just attached outwardly to the vine, never really bore any fruit, but he eventually turned and walked away and he was burned. So these are the Judas branches. Now, having identified those four players and all of that by way of review, we dive into now the work of the vine dresser. In verse 2, we have the work of the vine dresser toward the barren branches. 
the work of the vine dresser toward or on the fruitful branches. And then we have the tools of the vine dresser in verse 3. So let's look first of all at the work of the vine dresser toward the fruitless or barren branches. Verse 2, every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. Now, this analogy, what Jesus is using here, the, the, the vine and the vine dresser, this was something that in an agrarian economy, in an agrarian society, everybody would have been familiar with. And if you've grown vines, blackberry vines or grape vines or something like that, then you understand what Jesus is describing. The vine is the part of the branch that goes down into the soil and sucks up all the nutrients from the soil. And that vine provides life and fruitfulness to all of the branches that are attached to that vine. And the vine itself gives its character through its sap, through its life-giving ability, through nutrients and all of that. It gives its character, its sustenance, its fruitfulness to the branches that are attached to it. There are also attached to a vine, and not in the same way, what we would call suckers. Are you familiar with these? Suckers? These are branches that shoot up off of a vine or off of a branch, and they suck all of the life and nutrients out of the branch and out of that plant without providing anything for it. They're suckers. The only appropriate thing to do with a sucker is to cut it off, to sever it from the vine and from any branches that it's attached to. I have these on my trees every year. There's suckers that go up there. Useless, fruitless branches, they shoot up, they just suck nutrients from the tree, and before the fruiting season, they need to be cut off. They need to be severed from the tree or severed from the vine. And this is not intended to be cruel, and it's not intended to be a joke at all. There are people who attach themselves to the body of Christ who are suckers. They suck the life and the vitality out of the body of Christ. They hamper its fruit-bearing ability. They, they eat up resources. They eat up time. They eat up people. They suck the nutrients out of it. And when those are not removed and they are not dealt with, the life and the fruitfulness of the entire plant suffers. Now, do I have any of you in mind as I say this? Just calm down. There's going to be no vetting process after the service today, okay? It's not intended to sound cruel, but listen. It is the intention of Satan to sow amongst the true wheat tares. We know he does it. There's a parable about it. We know that Satan does that. Why does he do it? Because tares hamper the fruitfulness of the entire field. Suckers hamper the fruitfulness of the entire vine. And if Satan can sow a tear or put a, a sucker branch in as an elder or a deacon or a Sunday school teacher, all the better for him. This is his way of hindering the growth and the productivity of that plant. This is the work of the devil. Just as Judas was a sucker on the group of the twelve. He was. He was a greedy, selfish, self-seeking devil of a man who was nothing but a whoremonger and an idolater whose very presence drained the life out of those twelve. It is the work of the vine dresser to cut Judas off and show him to be the hypocrite that he was and cast him aside so that he could be burned in fulfillment of prophecy. And this was good for the disciples. This was good for the rest of the eleven to have that revealed. It was the loving thing for the vine dresser to do. So the loving thing for the vine dresser to do is to cut off the, the fruitless branches. Now a vine dresser had two responsibilities. Other than planting the plant, and watering the plant, and feeding the plant, and nurturing it, the vine dresser, when it came to tending the plant, had two responsibilities. One, to cut off all the sucker limbs, the sucker branches, that drain vitality without producing anything, to cut those off and sever them. And then second, to prune all of the fruitful branches so that they might bear more fruit. The 
Those two responsibilities of the vine branch, they were exercised and done with a great deal of love and skill. In fact, love is all over the metaphor that we have here. Chapter 14 was was filled with this reference to love. The love of the Father for the Son, the love of the Son for the Father, the love of the Father and the Son for those who belong to the Son, the love of those who belong to the Son for the Father and the Son. Love is all the way through chapter 14. And in fact, this analogy ends with a reference to us abiding in that love and experiencing and knowing that love and and expressing our love for Christ by keeping His commandments. So love is all over this. The the work of the vine dresser was a labor of love. He did what he did because he loved the plant. He loved the vine. And this is a perfect analogy for the relationship in the Trinity. The Father loves the Son, and He loves all those who are attached to the Son. Not because we are lovable, but because we are attached to the Son. And so the love of the vine dresser for the vine extends to the branches that are attached to the vine because the Father loves the branches because the branches bear the image, bear the mark, bear the life and the fruit of the vine whom the Father loves. So all that the Father does in in cutting off the suckers in eliminating the fruitless branches, is done out of love for the vine and love for all of the branches attached to the vine. It is a loving thing that the vine dresser does. The vine dresser doesn't cut off suckers because he hates the plant. He doesn't prune the fruitful branches because he dislikes the fruitful branches or because he wants to inflict pain. It's a labor of love for him. It's an expression of love for him to do this, to do this work. And it also required a tremendous amount of skill. It didn't, it didn't cash out this way. The, the owner of the vineyard didn't just walk out into the street and say, hey, you looking for work today? Well, yeah, of course I'm looking for work. That's why I'm holding the sign that says we'll work for food. All right, well, here's a knife. Go out into my vineyard and start cutting on my plants and come back at the end of the day and I'll pay you. That's not how it worked. A vine dresser was one who spent time as, as an apprentice, in an apprenticeship, learning from other vine dressers. They were highly skilled, highly technical, well-qualified people who did what they did with a tremendous amount of skill and ability. And they would look at a vine and they would be able to tell exactly which branches should stay and which branches should go and what to do with each branch to maximize fruitfulness and effectiveness. This was the work of the vine dresser. Very skilled. They, they did this. They had to be skillful because if you went out and just started cutting on a plant, you could hamper or even even uh, destroy the fruit-bearing ability of a, of a vine and its branches by cutting the wrong thing at the wrong time in the wrong way. Tremendous amount of skill involved in this. And this is the work of God in pruning His tree, His branch. Tremendous amount of skill. The Father does it. He does it lovingly and He does it skillfully. I have a branch in, uh, or I have a, a vine out in my backyard, in my garden, a blackberry vine. I love blackberries and so I convinced my wife that we needed to plant a blackberry vine and I planted one. Not one, I actually planted three. They're thornless blackberry bushes. And after a couple of years of growing, I went out there one spring and it looked like it was going to be ready to produce fruit this year. So I started cutting and pruning and clipping away. And that year, that vine produced more blackberries than I've ever seen in my life. Blackberries galore. We picked blackberries every day. We had gallons of blackberries. We had blackberries in ice cream, blackberries in cream, blackberry jam, blackberry jelly, blackberry juice, blackberries in cream, blackberries with ice cream, blackberry cobbler, blackberry crisp. Blackberry tuna fish salad. We had blackberries in everything that we ate, and we froze gallons of them. You know what the secret is? Nobody? I was hoping somebody did, because I have no idea what I did, and I have not been able to duplicate that for years. I've never been able to duplicate that fruitfulness. Whatever I did worked. There's evidence that even a blind squirrel can find a good metaphor in a drawer once in a while. Whatever I did worked that year, I have no idea what I did. I'm not... A gifted vine dresser is what I'm saying. But back in those days, tremendous amount of skill. They were artisans at their task. And the goal was always 
maximum fruitfulness. So that was the work of the vine dresser. How did he do this? And I want you to notice that the vine dresser, the vine dresser did not repair the fruitless branches. He removes the fruitless branches. Do you understand the difference between that? The vine dresser doesn't sit around and say, well, let's wait till next year and see if it produces fruit. All right, we'll give it one more year and see if it produces fruit. Maybe I can cut it just so and it'll produce fruit. Maybe if I feed it the right thing, it'll produce fruit. The vine dresser doesn't do that. The vine dresser knows what needs to go and he cuts it off. He severs it. And it is taken away and it is cast away. It is dried up and it is burned. He doesn't, he's not interested in repairing the branches. He's removing the branches. How did the vine dresser do this? Well, he would use a knife. He would use a knife and he would cut them off. And sometimes it is a painful process. Sometimes it's not a painful process. Sometimes it just happens and we don't even know it happens. But he is interested in removing the branch, the fruitless branches. How does he do this? What tools does he use? Sometimes this happens through when somebody apostatizes. They leave the faith. They depart from it. How does it happen? Well, Scripture says that, they, that there comes a point where some people cannot endure sound doctrine. They don't want to hear sound doctrine. They don't want to hear sound teaching. So they leave. They depart. And they go somewhere where somebody will teach them what they want to hear. That, that is a blessed subtraction from the body. When somebody like that who wants to hear something that tickles their ears and, and tells them, somebody who tells them what they want to believe, what they want to hear, and they leave someplace where sound teaching is being preached and presented, that is a blessed subtraction from that body. It is sometimes apostasy, how the vine dresser removes the fruitless branches because they leave and they go someplace where suckers flourish and they can thrive and a lot of them grow and they grow everywhere and nothing is ever done to cut them off. And the vine dresser collects suckers in some environments and you know, on some plants where they just flourish and they're never cut off. So sometimes it's apostasy. Sometimes suckers are removed when their sin is revealed because they return like a dog to its vomit or a sow having washed to its wallowing in the mire. And they can put on a show for a period of time, but eventually they just have to have that sin that they cherish and that they love and they will not turn from. And so they go right back to that sin. And the healthy body recognizes that and puts them out of the fellowship in church discipline and does what a healthy body does and puts the unbeliever outside because they expose themselves that they are fruitless branches who love their sin more than they love Christ. Sometimes that's the way it happens. Sometimes it's just death. God just cuts them off and they burn immediately. Sometimes that is the way by which God removes unfruitful branches from his fellowship. But the vine dresser is skillful in doing it. And remember, it is always to produce maximum fruitfulness on the fruitful branches. And it always is for the good of the vine and the good of the fruit producing branches. Well, that's the work of the vine dresser on the fruitless branches. Now, what is the work of the vine dresser on the fruitful branches? Look at verse 2. Every tree, every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that bears fruit, he prunes it so that it may bear more fruit. Every branch, so these are the fruitful branches. These are the branches in him that bear fruit. And notice that the work of the vine dresser is entirely different and the goal is entirely different. With fruitful branches, the work of the vine dresser is not to remove them, but to prune them so that they might produce fruit. So the work of the vine dresser with regards to fruitless branches, entirely different than fruitful branches. The vine dresser knows which ones will produce fruit and which ones won't. Some he cuts off, others he prunes. And once again, it is a work of love. It is a work of skill and it is something that the vine dresser does for the health of the vine and the health of the whole body. So these, these branches, the fruitful ones, they are true believers. They're like the disciples. They're like the eleven. They are ones whom, whom the Father has given to the Son. These are the ones who have eaten the bread of life and hunger no more. They've drunk of the living water and they thirst no more. These are the ones who are his sheep. They're not goats. These are true believers. And this is just another way of Jesus describing this group of people whom the Father has given to him because the Father loves the Son and the loves the branches. And so these are now likened, not as sheep and not as those who eat bread, 
but as those who are attached vitally and they get life from the, the vine. And the presence of the life produces the fruit. The most natural thing in the world for a branch that is rightly connected to the vine is to produce fruit. Branches don't have to work at that. It is the natural result of being a branch. You ever notice that? I go out to my trees or my vine, and I never have to try and convince the good branches to produce fruit. The most natural thing in the world is for those branches to produce fruit. And they produce fruit. I don't have to coerce them. I don't have to threaten them. I prune them a little bit. I do what I can. I keep them watered and fed. The most natural expression of the life that is in the branch is to produce fruit. And so it is in this analogy. The most natural thing for a Christian to do is to produce the fruits of genuine repentance and the fruits of righteousness. These are the things that grow on true believers. You don't have to look for them. If somebody is absent all of the fruits of salvation, all of the fruit of the Spirit, and there's no evidence of salvation there, guess what? They're a fruitless branch. They're not truly saved. Now, some branches will be large and produce lots of fruit. Some branches will be large and produce a little bit of fruit. Some branches will be small and produce a little bit of fruit. Some branches will be small and produce a lot of fruit. But every branch that is a true fruit-producing branch produces fruit. All of them do. Some a little, some a lot. But all of them produce fruit because they are vitally connected to the vine. And it is the life of the vine in the branches that gives the branches life and gives the branches fruitfulness. So how does the vine dresser prune the fruitful branches? How does he do this? What does he use? Well, back in those days, a vine dresser had a couple of different tools. There were times when the vine dresser, all he'd have to do is go out and he would pinch the tip of a, of a branch that was growing. He did this in order to slow down the growth because it was never good that a, a branch grew too fast. And he could tell which branches were growing quickly and which branches were going, growing slowly. So if a branch was going, growing too fast for its own good, he would pinch the tip of it with his fingers in order to slow down that growth for the good of the branch. Other times the, the vine dresser would prune the branch with a knife and he would cut back the things on the branch which would hinder its growth. Maybe that might be leaves if it had too many leaves or sometimes the vine dresser would go out and he would cut off the end of a very long branch because it's possible for branches to grow so big and so large and to produce so much fruit that it actually breaks off because it's so weighed down with fruit that it, that it, can, it tries to produce too much fruit and it hinders the fruit, actual fruitfulness of the plant. Uh, of the branch by breaking off. So sometimes a vine dresser would look at a really long branch and say this is too long and he would cut it back a little bit so that it might even not be blown off by the wind. This is how I lost a peach tree, by the way. Burdened with burdened with fruit. Nothing like a beautiful tree-ripened, juicy, sun-ripened peach. But it's not the same when they're all lying on the ground and the branch is busted off. So you got to go out and you have to prune off some branches because it's too heavy and it would break off under its own weight. So a vine dresser would do that. Other times a vine dresser would pluck off some of the blossoms because the vine dresser was after not just fruit, but good quality fruit. And not every blossom is going to produce good quality fruit. And they could tell how many, how many blossoms would be appropriate on a branch. And so they would brush off some of the blossoms and remove them so that the branch didn't try to produce too much fruit. So that's how they would, that's how they were pruned. What is it in our lives that is removed? Sometimes it's sin. Sometimes it's habits. Sometimes it's acquaintances or friends that just have to go. Sometimes it's just superfluous act activities that we do. Fortunately, it's never a football or love for football that ever has to be taken off. But sometimes it's a whole bunch of other things that get to be removed. And the vine dresser cuts those things off and prunes them back. He knows what diseases affect us and what needs to be cut off. He knows what things sap energy from our lives and productivity from our lives and that they need to go. And so he's interested in removing those things, once again, for the health of the branch, 
Not because he likes to injure us, not because he likes to, to hurt us, not because he likes to see us suffer pain, but he cuts these things off of our lives so that we might be more fruitful and that we might be productive. Who is it that gets pruned? Just some branches? It's all the branches. Every branch gets pruned. Every one of us. If you don't get pruned, it is evidence that you are not a fruit-producing, genuine branch. Or, in the words of Hebrews, you're an illegitimate son. You're not really a true son. Because every son that the father receives, he disciplines, he chastens it. And this is what we're describing here. It's the discipline of the Lord. And the discipline of the Lord is never to punish us for our sin. Don't confuse Hebrews chapter 12 with punishment. It's not punishment. God does not punish his children for their sin. My sin has already been punished. If you're in Christ, your sin has already been punished. It's laid upon Christ. So he's not punishing you for his sins. Your sins. Discipline is not the way the father punishes us. It's the way the father purges us. There's a difference. Discipline is training. It is instruction. And it always has that goal of producing the peaceful fruits of righteousness in the lives of those who are disciplined. And the evidence that you are not a child is if you face no discipline in your life. And you ought to look at any discipline that comes into your life, any pruning, and say, ha that's another evidence that I am actually genuinely saved. That God is cutting these things off of me. That God is using His Word to slice into me. He is disciplining me. He is pruning me. That's a good thing. And every branch needs to be pruned. And you will need to be pruned, and I will need to be pruned our whole life. Is there any 60-year-olds here who say, I've never been, I'm done being pruned. I'm all done. No, he, he will prune you your whole life. As long as you are living, you're going to need to be pruned. Until you go to be with him, you're going to need to be pruned. And it's always tempting, isn't it, for us to think that we are receiving too much of the knife and somebody else is not receiving enough of it? Look at the guy across the way and say, well, I wish the Lord would give him a bit more pruning and do a little less on me. I mean, I've been under the knife for quite a while and it's been painful. And I know that my husband could use a bit more pruning. And it's always tempting to look across the way and think that somebody needs more pruning than we do. Or even to think that other that we are being pruned more than others. To walk into church on a Sunday morning and think, everybody seems so happy and blessed and everything's going so well. And man, I'm the one that's under the knife and everybody else here gets a free ride to eat this week. And guess what? There's somebody here looking at you and saying, man, she just gets a free ride this week and I'm the one that's been under the knife all week long. We can never presume to know what the vine dresser is doing in the lives of the other branches or what he is doing, but we know this, that he's always pruning us. Sometimes the pruning is painful. Sometimes we notice it, and sometimes we don't. There are things in my life that, and you've, if you've walked with the Lord for a while, you'll, you'll be able to, you'll be able to, uh, re- recognize this, whatever the word is. Um, you wake up one morning and you think, you know what? Ten years ago, this was an issue, and today it's not. When did that get taken care of? I don't know when that got taken care of. But it's not here anymore. I don't, I don't struggle with this anymore. And you can't point to anything in your life where suddenly it was gone through a real painful experience. Sometimes just the work, the sanctifying work of the Word of God attended with the Spirit of God. He does this work of removing things through your life. Sometimes it's painful. Wow, and that lasted a long time. That was months I was in agony over that thing. But now it's gone and it's done. And there are other times when you suddenly realize that something is gone you're not even sure when it happened. You just know that that was the work of the vine dresser. Same thing with vines and plants. In the analogy, there are some, there are some pruning that is very harsh. It is very severe. Uh, it cut, cuts back a lot and it cuts deeply because things have to be removed. And then there are other prunings that the plant hardly even notices. Just a snip here, a snip there, and, and probably the plant doesn't feel it. I don't know. I'm not a plant. So I don't know whether the plant feels it or not, but I assume that it must be a lot easier than when you cut off the main trunk of the tree way back, like I've done sometimes and had to do. 
So that is the work of pruning in the life of, of a believer, and it always produces fruit, and the, the, always, the objective always at the end of verse 2 is more fruit. Notice that, the end of verse 2. The Father does this, he prunes it so that it may bear more fruit. Now, I always thought more fruit was in terms of quantity, the amount of fruit, which in a sense that is true. Vines or branches that are, have produced a little bit of fruit, you can stimulate fruit production by pruning them just right, and they will cause them to produce even more fruit. I was reading through Spurgeon's sermon on this text this last week. I always love to read anything Spurgeon wrote or preached. I was reading through Spurgeon's sermon, and he said it's, it's not just more in terms of quantity, but we can also think of this as more in terms of variety. More in terms of variety. God's not interested in me just producing one fruit. Wow, Jim, he's the most humble person I know. I mean, he's not compassionate. He's ungrateful. He's, uh, he's got all of these other character flaws. But man, his humility is through the roof. God is not interested in just producing one fruit on his branches. He wants a... Now, breaks down with the analogy because grape vines only produce grapes. You understand that? But in terms, in spiritual terms with us, God is interested that we be holy and righteous and compassionate and grateful and thankful and humble and generous and, uh, and sympathetic and serving. And de- He wants all types of different kinds of fruit in the lives of His people. And He knows just how to prune us. So not only that He gets more fruit, quantity-wise, but more in terms of variety. He knows how to produce a character quality in you like nobody else knows. That's the skill and the love. And he can prune you just right so that all of a sudden you are a compassionate individual where you weren't before. And then he makes you more compassionate. Spurgeon also suggested it might be more, not only in terms, not only in terms of quantity and variety, but also quality of fruit. You can have more fruit quality-wise. See, the vine dresser was not just after the most grapes possible, but the most good grapes possible. Bad grapes did him no good. So the vine dresser for us is after not just the, the variety of fruitfulness in our lives, but the best possible fruit, purer prayers, pure deeds, more righteous acts of compassion, things that stand the test of time, better quality fruit. And sometimes better quality fruit is actually more fruit. Uh, a peach tree that I mentioned that's all busted down and broken, I had to replace it with a, a brand new peach tree. And I go out there, and I'll tell you, if that thing produced everything it promised to in the beginning when it puts out its blossoms, I'd have truckloads full of fruit. I could bring I could bring a truckload of fruit here for everybody. It's filled with blossoms. But I have to strip them down because you know what? In one year, I didn't do that. And I found that even though it promises to produce 50 peaches that year, guess what? They're all the size of marbles, and they're bitter and all shriveled up, and they don't really ripen. Well, technically, you could say I have 50 peaches, right? But I found that if I strip all of, all of them but 10, I can get 8 or 10 juicy uh, tennis ball sized peaches off of that plant. And in that case, 10 peaches is more fruit than 50 peaches, isn't it? Yeah, the Father's not necessarily after all of these things that we do, but there is something in the vine dresser that wants the purity of what we do to be precious in His sight. It is better to have one thing that I do pure and holy and righteous than to produce a thousand things that are polluted and, and profitless to anybody. So He's after more in quantity, more in variety, and more in quality. And the vine dresser knows just how to accomplish that through the work that he does in cutting us just so, in pruning us. It's a labor of love and a labor of skill. Now look at the, the tool that he uses. This is in verse 3. Verse 3, you read it and you don't really see that it has anything to do with the analogy at all. Verse 3, you are already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. Say, so what, what does that have to do with what we're talking about, clean? It doesn't seem like it even fits in the analogy until you understand that the word clean there is the same word translated prunes in verse 2. The Father prunes us, He cuts us, He prunes us 
The word in verse 2 means to clean or to purify. It's translated as prunes because of the analogy of pruning and cutting fruitful branches. And then in verse 3, he uses the adjective form, you are already clean. If we wanted to be consistent in translating it according to the the metaphor of the analogy, we would say, you're already pruned by the word which I have spoken to you. So what is the what is it that the Father uses to prune us? His word. In the life of the disciples, there is some sense in which all of Jesus' teaching that he had given to them had done the work of cutting on the disciples and pruning them back so that they would be fruitful. Three years of teaching and ministry had done that work, of pruning them and preparing them and making them fruitful. And then in the final hours, he had cut off the unfruitful branch, which was Judas. And now these men were prepared to bear fruit. And Jesus is saying, you are already clean by the word that I have spoken to you. The word of God, which brings us forth, James 1.18, he brought us forth by the word of truth. That word of God, which accompanied by the work of the Spirit of God, resulted in the regeneration of the heart of a sinful human being, is also the same word that the Spirit of God uses in his power and his strength to cut and to prune and to clean and to purify us. It is a sanctifying word. That is why we should never resist it. We should never resent it. We should always welcome it and understand that God uses his word to purify us. That is why we sit under good preaching. We talked about this in Sunday school. We sit under sound teaching, sound doctrine, sound theology, because these things have a way, when the word of God is preached, of cutting off branches and pruning faithful branches. By the way, sound doctrine and hard preaching is a means by which God cuts off the fruitless branches. Sometimes there are just people who say, I don't want any of that. None of that. And they walk away. That was John chapter 6. Do you remember the crowds that were after Jesus? And he gave them the hard teaching about the sovereignty of God and salvation. And what was the response? They turned around and they walked away. They didn't didn't want any more of that. And Jesus looked at the twelve and said, you going to leave too? No, you have the words of eternal life. That was the word and the teaching of God which did two things. It cut off the fruitless branches. They left. They walked away. And it pruned the faithful and true branches, the ones that produced fruit. That's the analogy. It is the word of God that is used to prune us and to purify us and you say, what is the role of affliction? Because oftentimes we think of pruning, and you've thought of this already. I bet everybody here has thought of this. We talk about pruning and cutting and the pain that goes with it. You think of what? Affliction and suffering. You think of going through some sort of a pain that God uses to sanctify you by his truth. What is the role of affliction and suffering in the pruning process? There is a connection um, between affliction and God pruning us, and it is this. Pruning, affliction and pain do not in themselves prune us. Understand that. You know people who have gone through a tremendous amount of pain and are no better for it. They have suffered. They have been afflicted. They have endured huge trials. They have gone through horrible things. And they're no better for it. It's not been sanctified to them. But there are also people who go through trials and afflictions and pain and suffering. And as a result of that, they are better for it. They are purified. They are pruned. What is the difference? It is not affliction that prunes us. It is the Word of God that prunes us. Now, sometimes the Word of God, which is the knife, has a handle called affliction, suffering. And it's a very effective knife that the vine dresser uses. When, when that blade is accompanied with the handle called affliction, it's a, it's a very effective knife. And people who have been afflicted understand exactly what I'm talking about. They understand that pain is a very effective accompaniment to the Word of God. But it is the Word of God that does the purifying. It's the Word of God that does the cutting. Affliction is just the way in which the the master surgeon uses it to cut things out of it. But it's always the Word of God. That is why in affliction we turn to Scripture. 
for our comfort and for our solace. That is why in the midst of affliction, we go to the Lord and we continue to read Scripture and meditate on Scripture and memorize Scripture and learn from Scripture and study it and read it and let it soak into us. Let the Word of Christ dwell richly in us. Why? Because it is in the presence of the Word of God accompanied by the Spirit of God that that affliction actually becomes sanctified to us. Don't waste your suffering. Don't waste it. You know how you will waste it? By becoming bitter and resentful and resisting it. But you can not waste your suffering if it is sanctified to you through the use of Scripture. The psalmist describes this, Psalm 119. The psalmist says, This is my comfort in my affliction that your word has revived me. Psalm 119.67 Before I was afflicted, I went astray, but now I keep your word. Psalm 119.71 It is good for me that I was afflicted, that I may learn your statutes. Notice the connection between the word of God and affliction. My affliction was good. Why? Because I learned to keep God's word. Your affliction is wasted if it doesn't result in that. It's wasted. So there is a connection there between the pruning and how God uses suffering to accomplish that, but it is always the word of God itself which cuts off the things in our lives that need to go. So what do we do with this? What is our response to it? What do we make of it? Let me give you a couple of things. We have to remember the character of the vine dresser. This is very important. In the midst of pruning and affliction and suffering, we have to remember the character of the vine dresser. He is an all-loving, all-wise, all-knowing vine dresser. He's not stumbling through the vineyard, hacking at branches, uh, willy-nilly, helter-skelter, just sort of making his way through, cutting things without any level of skill or love. He is the all-wise, all-knowing, all-skillful, all-loving vine dresser. So that everything he does is for our good. Everything he does is motivated out of love. And when we remember that, it helps us to welcome affliction and welcome the pruning process without growing bitter, without being resentful, without complaining or carping about it. When we understand that it is coming to me from the hand of an all-wise, all-good God, it helps me to receive it from His hand, knowing that it is motivated by His love for me. And then second, not only the character of the vine dresser, but also that what He does is for my good. Always for my good. He's not just trying to harm me. He's not just trying to hurt me. not just trying to cause me pain. He's not cutting me for the sake of cutting me. Everything that He prunes on me is intended for my good, for my fruitfulness. Because he wants us to be maximally productive and fruitful for his kingdom and his purposes and his glory. And here's the glory of all of this. The vine produces the life in the branches. The branches bear fruit because of the life of the vine. And the branches have nothing to boast of, do we? If we produce fruit for the Lord, do we have anything? This fruit. Look what I produce. No branch can say that. Every branch has to owe its fruitfulness and its life and its vitality to the vine. No branch can take credit for what it has done. So it is the work of the vine dresser to produce the fruit, the work of the vine to produce the fruit and the life that flows through the branches. And then at the end of time, guess what the vine dresser does and guess what the vine does? They reward the branches for producing the fruit. Isn't that amazing? To hear, well done, good and faithful servant. When he's the one that produced the fruitfulness by pruning us just so and giving us the life and the vitality and producing the fruit for us, for him to reward us or to recognize us for producing something that we really had nothing to do with, it's simply the result of his grace, What grace is that? What grace is that? And what a blessing it is to be part of that vine and to have such a loving vine dresser. Let's bow in prayer. Our gracious God, we are thankful again to you. You are the all-wise and all-knowing vine dresser. And we thank you that everything that you do is out of love for the vine and out of love for the branches. And we thank you that we are in Christ by your doing and your doing alone. We have nothing to take credit for and nothing to... Uh, rejoice in that we have produced in and of ourselves. We thank you that you do the work of producing fruit in your people. 
May you continue to do that. May you use your word as it is preached and as we have read it to cut off unfaithful branches, fruitless branches from the vine. And may you use your word to continue to prune those who produce fruit so that we might produce more fruit, that we might give to you lives of obedience and, and loving adoration and honor and abide in the love that you have loved us with and abide in our love for you and abide in your word. That is our desire. Continue to use your word in the lives of your people, we pray. In Christ's name, amen. Thank you for listening to the latest podcast from Kootenai Church. If you'd like to learn more about Kootenai Church or to donate to our church ministry, you can do so online by visiting KootenyChurch.org. We hope you enjoyed this podcast and pray you'll join us again next time. Once again, thank you for listening.